Hey guys, welcome to Rolling for Change. My name is Woody Harris, and I've got a great podcast for you here today. One of the original ideas that I had for Rolling for Change, one of the things that I wanted to do, was to explore other therapists' use of board games in their practice. I don't really think this has been formalized very well or talked about very clearly in the therapeutic community or in the gaming community. And so I'm very excited to get to talk to therapists who use board games in their practice, even if it's only minimal, even if you only use it, you know, as an adjunct or as a a momentary uh, use for building rapport, whatever it is, I want to know about it. So to that end today, we have an interview with Autumn Hahn, who is a fellow board game enthusiast, a therapist, and a board game creator. And we're going to talk to her about her use of board games in her therapy practice. So I think you're really going to enjoy this conversation between myself, so Josue Cardona, and Autumn. And, well, just check it out. We're going to start it right now. Here you go. Welcome to Rolling for Change. My name is Woody Harris. I am joined by my co-host, Josue Cardona. Hey, Woody. Hey, Josue. And uh, we also have special guest, Autumn. Uh, uh, Autumn Hahn is my actual name. (laughs) Uh, Autumn is a therapist and a gamer and combines the two, so it felt like a good fit for us to talk to her here on Rolling for Change. So we're very excited to talk to you, Autumn. Cool. I'm excited to be here. Excellent. So before I get into like our normal kind of check-in thing, if you could just tell us a little bit about who you are. And I, I can say that I met Autumn through a board game Facebook group. And I saw that she was posting about therapy. And I got really excited because I'm always excited to see therapists who are talking about um, games. That is, that's pretty much our association. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> that's how we met. Uh, yeah, so um, I'm Autumn Hahn. I'm a licensed mental health counselor and certified clinical hypnotherapist. I uh, have been in practice for about seven years. I've been doing therapy longer than that, but I've been in private practice for seven years. My specialty is trauma, so I work with a lot of um, veterans and rape victims and people with bad breakups and bad childhoods. That's the majority of, of the work that I do. And... Um, I feel that board games are more than just a hobby. Uh, Well, I feel that any hobby, anything that you really love, you can incorporate into anything else that you really love. So doing therapy and using board games in therapy just seemed to make sense. Why not share or why not capitalize on some of the things I already have in some of the things I really want to do? So I've been uh, dovetailing that for as long as I can remember doing therapy, to be honest with you. So I started out working with kids, and uh, I'm now working more with adolescents and adults, but I have used board games in every step of the process, so I'll be happy to tell you more about that as we go on. You just got me very excited. I I didn't know as much about you as I'd like to, and just your opening has me really excited. Like, I have lots and lots of questions I can ask. I'm very... (laughs) And you're already speaking Hostway's language. Oh, yeah, yeah. Let's get through this check-in thing quickly so we can get to to more Amber, to more Autumn. (laughs) Absolutely. Well, 
so check-in is just how we're doing today what what's been going on during the week you know it, it's a typical therapy check-in kind of thing um, I don't know if we've done it in every podcast but we it feels like a good way to begin because we're all kind of being conversational and having fun um, <laughs> uh, so Hostwe, what have you been up to um so I went to PAX East recently that was Ooh, that was yeah. a lot of fun went last week and I, I discovered I mean lots of new games but one in particular um, Adam and Adam from from Wheelhouse Workshop, who have been on the show before, they talked to me about uh, a, a card game called Sentinels, Sentinels of the Multiverse. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I forgot the name for a second. And <clears throat> it is it is a really cool game. And essentially, it's a it's a battling card game. But you don't. It's not a deck building game. So um, the decks are already established, and every character in the game has a deck. And then there are superheroes and villains. And the villains, the decks are, they self-play, right? So, so essentially, like, you know, mm-hmm. you pull a card and, and it, it, it plays automatically when it's, when it's the villain's turn. So it's a cooperative game and everybody has their own deck. You're, you're your own superhero and you're all battling the villain. There's also an environment that has its own deck. Um, so you're playing all of that simultaneously. It's a co-op game. It is very, very cool. And just the other day on the... On the Geek Therapy Facebook group, I suggested it to someone who was asking for suggestions for a co-op game to use in in family sessions because I haven't used it yet. But it sounds like it's pretty cool. You know, parents, kids just pick a, a deck, uh, pick a superhero, and then they're all battling a villain together. I think it's pretty cool, and that's pretty much the the one tabletop game I've been playing, the one analog game I've been playing. <laughs> You know, it, it's a fantastic game, and I hadn't thought about the family therapy aspect of it, but I just, as you were talking about it, I just thought about the idea of maybe having, like if you have a conflictual family, yeah. you can bring out that, that conflict a little more by having them play opposite sides. Like if, I know the villain deck plays itself, but if the parent or the child takes the villain role, I don't know. It's just a, I'm just playing with thoughts in my head, so. Yeah. <laughs> you, you, <laughs> it may not work that way. I don't know. I don't, I'm not sure either. All right. <laughs> I, I've Why, not played I look, that, but I love superheroes and uh, Marvel movies and that kind of thing. So I'm I'm super excited to try that game out. I've not played it, and um, my husband loves cooperative games. Yeah. He says that he feels uh, he feels that he's very competitive, so he doesn't like playing uh, competitive games with our friends because he wants to beat them mercilessly. Yeah. So <laughs> so he prefers cooperative games. But I I can I'm just happy to be playing, so I can play whatever with whoever. <laughs> Yeah, I'm a but big fan. I always want to play the villain. <laughs> yeah, I'm a big fan of co-op games. So the idea that there's always, also that you can, yeah, I don't know. I, I really like the concept of the game. I'm liking it so far. I want to play it with a group of people. Um, yeah, yeah, I'm really, really excited about it because it sounds so cool, right? Like I'm describing it. I'm like, how did I not know about this game? It's, I'm shocked. <laughs> it's so good. So it's on the App Store, right? Um, did you? Yeah. Is it playable across like? If we wanted, if you and I wanted to play together, would we be able to play on the app together? Yeah, so so that's a a good point. The it, it's a physical card game, but I, I I didn't buy the physical card. game. I tried to, but at Paxis they didn't have the base the base game, so I ended up um, buying the app on on iOS, and and it, it's fantastic. And yes, you can play multiplayer, so we can get a game going. Hmm. Oh, that's awesome! I, I need to pick that up then. Excellent. But before we uh, talk to Autumn about her experiences lately, what Tell me if PAX, do they have anything? So I know they have board games there, and I know we have the PAX Unplugged coming up, but is there, are there board game, like, 
do people talk in lectures about board games there or is it more focused on the video game aspect no there so so the show floor is covered with companies for you know video game companies and i think mm-hmm. most of the most of the panels are probably video game related but there are absolutely tabletop games there are um creators of of tabletop games and rpgs and yeah i mean there's a little bit of everything i think i think it's just culturally a video game centric but actually i mean if you really look at the show floor there is a free play area that's uh for tabletop games and that area is gigantic so i mean it's the tabletop area, it's probably split 50-50, but because the tabletop area is just empty tables, it doesn't look as, it doesn't look like a circus like the other side does with all these giant, um, you know, installations and, and the lights are dimmer on the video game side. It's it's weird, but but really the, the space, at least in Boston, is about 50-50, I'd say. Yeah. Okay. All right. So, so no lectures. No, no. I think there are panels. Um, No, no. There are definitely panels. Panels. Yeah. Panels was the word. Yeah. Yeah. No. There are definitely panels on, on tabletop games and and RPGs and just gaming culture and retro stuff and and a little bit of everything. It's mostly in that sense. It's probably mostly video games, but there there is a little bit of um, of tabletop stuff going on. Definitely. I mean, even what we did, we kind of just played a game on the fly. I mean, it was we used, did use video, video game concepts and and psychology concepts um, on our panel, but it wasn't really you know it wasn't we weren't a gaming um, you know we're not a video game company we weren't promoting a video game per se, more like we're really yeah. talking about gaming culture in general. Okay, excellent. Okay. So, Autumn, what's what's going on with you? What have you been playing, or what's been going on in your world recently? Uh, um. <laughs> I actually haven't been playing much. Um, I've just got a whole bunch of stuff from Kickstarters that have gotten fulfilled that I'm super excited to play, but haven't had any time to play. So on my uh, on my kitchen table right now is um, Wizard School and okay. the Dresden Files, which is a cooperative card game. I think it's a deck builder and um, uh, Cult Following. And those just came in within the last two weeks, and I haven't had a chance to play them yet. But I'm excited for them. Um, but I did play, uh, my RPG group got together, and I ran a game of Dread in the last two weeks. So that's Ooh. that's all I've really gotten to play. <laughs> I really want to play Dread sometime. I saw the the tabletop, or I guess yeah. the tabletop edition of that. Uh-huh. And I got really hooked. I'm really excited about that game. Yeah, it's it's a lot of fun. I don't I don't know that I love the tower. Uh, so I ran the game. They call it a host instead of a game master or dungeon master. And okay. um, so I hosted it, and it was my original story. The one you saw on tabletop is is in the book, and because okay. uh, I've seen that one as well, which got me in, interested in it. And uh, so I ran my own. It was a haunted hospital, and they had all sorts of uh, ghost encounters, and they were like so jaded. They were like, "Eh, is that all that's gonna happen?" I'm like, "What? You saw you saw floating." <laughs> symbols and what 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 else do you guys want (laughs) but uh yeah so it was uh it was fun but i don't think i love the tower aspect because you play dread with a a jenga tower instead of rolling dice like a traditional rpg and as a as the story writer it's hard to give them something that's um potentially going to remove their character from the game when the tower falls without knowing how precarious the tower might be so just searching for something isn't really life-threatening but 
So I found it a little more difficult to run than like a traditional RPG, but uh, but it was good fun. So we might um, we we talked about it afterward. What did you guys think? And we all kind of went, oh, the tower. Eh, we'd rather use percentiles. So maybe okay. maybe we'll do it again and just use percentile dice because it's a little more chance driven. But it was good fun. That's interesting because I thought the uh, I thought the tower was the the really unique aspect of the game was the idea that uh, you're building up to something and it could fall apart. Yeah, and uh, but since you're all playing off the same tower, it takes the responsibility off the player, and it just it seemed to throw the dynamic off, at least for my group. But we're all RPGers, so I think maybe for a less experienced group, it might have been better, or I'm not sure. But for us, we just didn't love it. Okay. Maybe, I don't know if this is a, a fix, but maybe if everybody had an individual tower, but that also starts to seem like it gets, the, the table starts to fill up with all these architectural structures. <laughs> right, and one person's tower is going to knock over someone else's. Yeah, then you got dominoes. But yeah, so, uh, but it was good fun anyway, and uh, always nice to just have people over and order pizza and just have a nice night in. Yeah, excellent. Well, I haven't been playing much games either, which is uh, rather unfortunate because I, I really have this kind of... Like, I do play games in therapy sessions, but that's so much different than playing games in real life. Oh, yeah. Uh, therapy's not real life. Because um, therapy, you're, you're so focused on somebody else's experience that your experience is not... That's not primary to what's going on. But what I did get to play, uh, my wife and I got to play the Arkham Horror card game. Um, the... Uh, uh, on Sunday night, I think it was. Maybe Sunday night or Saturday night. Anyway, um, this is basically Arkham Horror turned into a living card game. So for those who don't know what living card game is, it's it's like a uh, it's like a deck builder, but you're you're adding these you're creating these decks so that within the game you're creating your deck to match what you need in the game. So you it's like Pokemon or Magic in the sense that you start with a deck that you self created, but it, you have all the cards available to you already. You don't have to do the uh, the go and shop and buy and hope for rares kind of thing. Hmm. Everybody gets the same thing. Uh, so I was really excited about this because it's a narrative experience, and I really love narrative experience games. Um, I, I quite like role-playing games, but I don't get to play them very often. So when I get a, a game that's going to bring a story in, I get really excited. And this certainly brought the Arkham Horror theme into the gameplay. The only challenge was that sometimes Fantasy Flight is not very clear on their instructions on how to do things. So we sat and probably learned the rules for about an hour and a half and then played for about an hour and a half. So it felt like it was really kind of disjointed, but we both agreed that we want to try it again. It's going to be worth playing. And it's got some really spooky moments in it that makes you feel like, okay, we're really in this environment now and you have to react to it. So that's kind of nice. Uh, so that's, that's the excitement on this end. I do have some Kickstarters that are waiting for me. Uh, the most recent one was Martian's a story of civilization, but I haven't even cracked the box yet. Hmm. Those Kickstarters come in, you just don't get to play them quick enough. It's uh, and I'm I'm busy accruing. I can't. I don't have time to play while I'm collecting. <laughs> that is a dangerous statement. <laughs> it's true though. All right. So uh, now that we've kind of got the the pleasantries out of the way, let's let's talk to Autumn here about. I, I'm really excited about your history with therapy and, and, and especially gaming um, and putting the two together, but maybe you could start by telling us a little bit about, so you said you're a trauma therapist, mm -hmm. which that's what immediately got me excited because I'm learning trauma-focused cognitive behavioral therapy. Uh, it's, it's something that our company is trying to do exclusively almost. And uh, 
I, I guess just kind of give me a, a small history of how you got to the point of doing therapy and and what you're doing now. That's a lot. That's a lot. So, uh, sure. Describe your last 20 years. Okay. Um, <laughs> so, uh, so in all honesty, when I was 16, I interviewed my parents and their friends and I said, what do you hate about your job? Because I knew that I wanted a job that I didn't hate. And they all said, we do the same thing every day. It's so repetitive. And my parents are blue collar workers. They always told me that you're going to go to college. It was not optional. You're going to go to college and you're going to get a degree and you're going to have a desk job. That was what they wanted for me. So uh, nothing against blue collar workers. That's just they had different desires for how my life would be from theirs. So so all right, uh, it was not optional. And uh, so I knew I wanted a job that was going to be different all the time, that was going to have a lot of variety. And I assume that something with people would give me a lot of variety. So I started thinking about what that meant. And uh I settled on therapy. So I started college when I was 16 and um, uh, it, you know, it took me some time to finish as college often does. And I never changed my major. I went in as a psychology major and uh, did my degrees in psychology and mental health counseling. And I worked in between my associates and my bachelor's doing um, case management with the severely mentally ill and learn that that is not my population but uh blessings to the people who do and uh but you know schizophrenia and major depressive disorder and and that kind of like really heavy stuff uh delusions was just not my field of expertise it was not going to be my niche so um I left that, went back to school, and really had an understanding then of what those diagnoses were and how it looks on people and what to look for. So, um, so it was a really good education for me. So, uh, finished my degree in mental health counseling, did my internships, and um, kind of fell into trauma. So I was working with kids. I was doing in-home therapy, where you go to someone's house and you work with the family and the kid, and uh, it's it's a great way of seeing the dynamics and what's going on there. And uh, had a little girl assigned to me who was, I believe, four when I started with her and six when I finished, and she had been um, allegedly sexually abused by the father and uh, had been physically abused by the mother that was on record. And so she had been removed at the age of probably two or three to foster care and had been through a couple of foster placements. And what happens with kids with early trauma, uh, early meaning like before they really have good language skills, like before preschool kind of age, is that they don't really express in words what happened or what's going on with them or how their thought process is because they just don't have the ability. So they act in certain ways that are pretty textbook. There's there's things that you can identify. And so my job was to work with the kid through the trauma so that she wasn't experiencing it anymore. And I'd never done that. And, um, and so I'd only been out of graduate school for maybe a year or two at the time. So I was still pretty green. <laughs> and uh, that was a pretty hard case. And then also to observe her with the biological parents separately and with the adoptive parents and at school and um, all sorts of places just to see if the reactions were similar across different locations. And so I did. I worked with her for about two years. And that's how I really learned about trauma was kind of head first, uh, all the way deep into it. And she got better and it's good. So um, after that, I started doing more trauma training and um, I trained under 
Dr. John Connolly, who does rapid resolution therapy. That's his particular technique. And I've been doing that for about six years. So that's my main thrust now. That's most of what I do is rapid resolution. I'm trauma-focused, CBT trained as well, but uh, that's kind of the buzz, you know, that everybody's doing. But I've been doing that for quite a few years now. But um, but yeah, I find that rapid resolution is a kind of hypnotherapy and mm-hmm. working with the subconscious is just faster. So, uh, you know, they used to do, um, what's it called, narrative therapy. I was doing that initially as well. And that takes about 18 months to clear trauma in an adult of them coming every single week for an hour. That's a lot of sessions. So, you know, you're talking what almost almost 700 hours or more than 700 hours of therapy to clear an issue. And uh, well, no, a year and a half would be what, almost 600. And uh, that, that's a lot. And you leave feeling miserable. <laughs> it's, it's a terrible <laughs> experience, narrative therapy, in my, in my impression, uh, in my experiences. And, um, and it takes so long. And so what happens is because it hurts while you're going through it, clients cancel sessions, they miss appointments, they don't want to do it, it sucks. And mm-hmm. uh, so they don't come and that's not good for you as a business. So uh, I switch gears and I learned something else. And now I'm doing in about five hours what used to take 18 months. So whoa, 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 five hours. Yeah. So I'll do like a two hour session and then an hour, like a week or two later and then an hour, a week or two later to make sure we've got everything. That that's fascinating. I when we do trauma focused cognitive behavioral, that is uh that is a total of six months, and yeah. it's, it's like you said, it's about once a week mm-hmm. with uh, family therapy, maybe twice a month, mm-hmm. uh, depending on needs. And then, when, of course, we have to go through that narrative process where we have to identify the trauma and get the child to talk about it and talk with the, the parent or whoever about it, somebody that they trust. Mm-hmm. Um, so what's – I know we're getting kind of away from the, the games part, <laughs> but what's different about uh, – how, how does this work? How do you do this in five sessions? Well, I think the big difference is there's not a lot of, um, as, as the therapist, you do the majority of the talking. The client comes in, it's a different way of thinking about it too. So the client comes in with a disordered way that they've been thinking about a thing and it's been affecting them negatively. So that's going to be the same, whatever client you get who's trauma affected. And mm-hmm. I think the approach traditionally has been, okay, well, let's get it out and then let's look at it all and then let's box it back away and so rapid resolution doesn't do it like that the approach is more there is a thing that happened to you that it sucked and we can agree that it sucked whatever it was i'm not curious about what happened to you i don't actually even need to know the details of what happened to you because you already know and i don't need you to tell me so i don't need to hear a story if the client doesn't want to tell it or if the client isn't interested in telling it so it it takes the focus off of um the feeling bad part and just Mm -hmm. gets to the healing part so i think the part that we skip is those several sessions of telling the story and dissecting what happened and how you could do it differently because there's no way it could have gone differently it went how it went right which is great because when i work with veterans a lot of times they you know may not be able to tell what happened it might still be classified you know i've had cases like that we're like well i really can't say okay i don't need you to say you just think about it for half a second. You know what happened? Good. So then let's do this. So you skip over, I think, those those steps that are crucial in talk therapy. All right. So there's this concept of catharsis that we're so used to from Freudian psychology, and I'm kind of coming from a, a psychodynamic background. Okay. Um, that 
bypasses that entire process then of talking about your experience, which is amazing. So you do this in five hours, you do some hypnotherapy, I'm assuming. Right. And what is the hypnotherapy? What happens there? Uh, well, the way that I do it, and there's different ways of, of doing hypnotherapy. I'm also a certified clinical hypnotherapist. Um, so the, there are several ways of doing it. What I generally do is I use metaphor and storytelling in order to work through the subconscious stuff. So it's about kind of bypassing logical thought because what they're reacting to is not logical. So with trauma, you're reacting to what's happening as if it's happening, but it's not happening. It happened way back then and you're remembering. Right. But you're remembering actively so that your mind is responding, your body's responding as if it's active. And so we're just getting you past the reactive part because that's not logical. You know it's not logical. The client knows it's not logical. And so let's just skip that and just get right to the part where it's not happening. Okay, I want to learn so much more, but I'm not going to grill you on it any further. I'm going to go and do some research myself, but that's yep. Rapid Resolution Therapy. Yep, and you can go to rapidresolutiontherapy.com, and there's videos on the site, and uh, you can watch some of those and see how it happens And if you're interested in more information on that. That's not my thing, but that's the methodology that I tend to use. Okay, excellent. So how do you bring board games into that? Well, so I've always been a board game player ever since I was a very small child and uh, like many of us began and uh, I never lost my love of it. So uh, even as a teenager and uh, my early college years, I would still kept board games and I would have people over to play board games and it just seemed like, you know, good, wholesome fun that doesn't cost too much because, you know, as a college student, costing much is uh, is negative so <laughs> uh, <laughs> right anything you can do around a pizza is probably good uh, so uh, the past few years I've also become a game designer so we've got a game coming out uh, maybe this year uh, it's at the lawyers still getting all its trademarking finished but um, so we're designing games and we're playing games and a lot of our friends seem to be in these circles and I, I kind of keep my hand in the in the pot as well which is how you and I met Woody and just kind of mm -hmm. listening to what's out there and what's new and, you know, what are people like and what's interesting and what's overplayed. You know, people are sick of Cthulhu, but I, I can't get enough Cthulhu, but I <laughs> I know people get tired of it. You were talking about the Eldritch game. And I was like, yes, more Cthulhu. So, <laughs> uh, so, uh, so my board game closet's got about 200 games in it and um, it's where our pantry was supposed to be. So we just, <laughs> we just keep cans wherever. Um, but I think you can use, depending on the game you're using, if you're using it with intention, you can use it in any setting that makes sense. So I wouldn't say I play board games every session. That wouldn't make sense. And no. for a lot of what I do, it doesn't make sense at all. So if I have a new client, if I'm trying to see how a family interacts, I have... I. I I've made some notes here that I broke down into sections of what would make the most sense. And um, mm -hmm. there's different ways to do them for different things. So um, I think I started using them because I was doing in-home family therapy. And so what I needed to know in just an hour or so, how does this family get along? How do they react mm -hmm. to each other? Are they friendly? Are they competitive? Are they, do they put each other down? Do they build each other up? Do they, you know, all of this is useful information that you can get just from playing a game with people. And you can do it in less than an hour. So um, mm -hmm. what I'm looking for in a board game to use in therapy is it's easy to teach. Um, it's easy to set up. It's easy to clean up. It should be pretty fast. Everything goes back in a Ziploc bag. Um, 
you know, you don't want to spend a lot of time going, okay, wait, just one more second. Let's just sort all of these. You know, it has to be quick. Um, yeah. So I hate I hate uh, I hate spending two hours teaching a game and then it takes a half an hour to play. You know, <laughs> that's a waste of a day. So um, so I like an easy to set up, easy to play, easy to teach. I want it to play in about twenty minutes if I'm going to play with a family because I've really only got an hour, and I don't want to spend the whole time just playing games necessarily. So I started using it with families, and I would come out and I want to see how do you interact. Are you friendly? Are you competitive? Are you interested in each other? Are you helping each other? Are you, um, are, are the, is one child favored over others? Is, um, does one person talk more and somebody isn't allowed to? What's going on with the dynamic of those people? Um, what's the bond between the members? How do you communicate? Are the children especially supported? Do they have a voice? And, um, I also want to see what the boundaries are like between the people. Is it, you know, mm-hmm. we let we let this one kid cheat, you know, but we're really strict on this other one. Uh, do you make them clean up? Do you enforce the rules? Do you bend the rules? And a lot of that you can see between parents and children just by watching them play. And so I would always say play with them because you don't want to be observing people like lab rats. I think it feels right. weird to do that. So I also play and I think it feels more natural that way. At least it does to me. So that's how I used it initially with families, and then I kind of bounced out from there. So I don't want to monologue, but uh, is that a good start? Yeah, that's a good start. What did can you recall the games, or maybe you still use them? The games that you use for that. Tw- so you got twenty minutes, you say, which uh, I've I've never looked at it as you have, where it's like let's clean it up, let's you know let's get it done quick. Um, I'm always trying to let's let's use it the whole way whole way through. Maybe do it 50, 55 minutes. Um, what are you playing? Um, well, I mean, depending on the age of the players, but um, I really like the life game. There's a version called Despicable Me from the the video game with the minions from the movie. Mm-hmm. And um, that game plays really well. There's a lot of chance involved. Um, there are so, There's a little bit of a wonky thing to the board where you have to spin it in a certain way. And so I always say, good spin. And uh, I see if the parents pick up on that or the kids pick up on that. And it's really interesting to see if they start doing it too or not. Um, mm-hmm. I like that that one plays pretty fast. Uh, it's easy to clean up. And um, it's a really big board though. So that's my only complaint with it. Yeah. Uh, it takes up a lot of trunk space. Um, who knew? is a great game for families. It's made by the makers of Cranium. I forgot what company mm-hmm. that is. And um, who knows fantastic because uh, especially with a new client who doesn't know you yet, or maybe you know the parent but not the child, you deal out these cards and then whoever is it, and which goes around the table, you say uh, you choose a card from your hand of what that person would like. And so they're all nouns. So is do they like dinosaurs, um, cupcakes, sleeping in, you know, and so you choose from your cards what you think they'll like, and then you get awarded points based on how well you guessed. And so um, that one you can also see reading skills and uh, reading comprehension in kids. And if they go for uh, for help, who do they go to? Do they go to the same person every time? Will they go to you? You know, and um, you know if you offer help, do they take it or not? So you can see kind of a lot with a game like that too. And it's a good way of getting to know each other without revealing too much personal information. So if they know that you like ice cream sundaes better than sneakers, that's not really a lot to know about your therapist. (laughs) So essentially it's assessment tool for you. Um, I wouldn't say it's an assessment tool because I think that disservices actual assessment tools, but um, it's an icebreaker. Okay, that makes sense. Okay. Yeah, I mean, I I also use games that way. Um, 
and I, I did see them. Like I would call them a, a kind of an assessment, maybe more of an intake. Um, there were definitely things that I was looking for when I was working with the client, and I would use specific games for for kind of the same reasons. Yeah, but it, it's funny. Uh, I, I I would say that I at least what I did, I used them kind of in that assessment. Um, they played an assessment role uh, for mm-hmm. for for me definitely, especially like you talked about um, family dynamics. Yeah, that's it's so telling. You know, there's so much that you can. Mm-hmm. Uh, glean from that and also like i like the idea that uh, something like who knew you're getting a lot of their interest too instead of just like uh you know your typical agency intake where you're getting just you know all the bad stuff and and not maybe mm-hmm. what really the 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 people are about you know yeah and i think those communication skills are so crucial in just knowing how a family acts together and how whatever you're going to do next week is going to be received yeah yeah, I've used it. I, I, you know, I, I use the term assessment tool, but I mean, really, we're just looking for. I like the word icebreaker. We're looking for a way to see the client in a different way than we would see them, than the normal clinical interview, because you know the clinical interview can be like Hostway said, it can be very sterile, and you yeah. kind of miss the full dynamics. You don't get the full person. You get kind of you're you're looking at a very narrow sort of uh, medical view of them instead of getting the whole person and you're not getting the whole person through an uno game or life or something like that but you're at least starting on a different foot because i think a lot of times we come in as therapists we come in we're here to fix the problem and so we're immediately problem focused i mean that's that's a especially true in core therapy which is what i do um and so anything that takes us out of that sort of uh i don't know archetype of therapy whatever you want to call it that it seems like a good move uh, you mentioned uh, allowing or how do they how do they deal with them not cheating? Why don't usually see like when I'm doing uh, when I'm playing Uno with a child or something? I don't usually see the parents in that dynamic. In fact, a lot of times I don't get to do the family therapy I'd like to do. But I can see from watching a child play Uno, you know, how do they respond to rules and boundaries basically? And even if they cheat, what I'll do is I'll say, okay, as long as they cheat and they're consistent about their cheat. In other words, their cheat applies to me. It applies to them. And I can kind of see, are you living in a rule-based world or are you living completely in a non-rule-based world just for your own, for your own, uh, your own benefit? So that, that's very telling also. Um, yeah, like I don't like the rules, so, so let's th- change them because now I want this rule because it benefits me and not you. Like that right, type of thing. Yeah, yeah. Not you, yeah. exactly. <laughs> Back to what I was saying earlier about, um, about uh, – seeing it as a very negative kind of clinical way uh, usually intakes are written problem focused and but i think the shift is becoming a lot more solution focused and motivational interviewing and the shift in therapy at least for the past few years really has become more positive and so let's talk about symptoms yes but let's also talk about what else is going on so i think um i think we're changing the language a lot, at least in some of the committees I'm, I'm in, we're changing the language a lot to go from being on um, what are the um, what are the negatives, what are the challenges that this client is going to, to what are their obstacles or what are their, you know, so we're not saying what's your disability, we're saying, you know, right. what are you looking to overcome? Yeah, no, and, and that's always good to hear. That depends on where you are. I know when I had my private practice, mm-hmm. my intake was completely different than what it was at the last ag- agency I had worked at. And it was always frustrating for me to go to a, um, you know, group supervision or or, or uh, all hands uh, meeting, and people are presenting cases, and you know they couldn't tell you anything about the person. You know, it was all, mm-hmm. it was all symptoms and problems. And, and so I would be that guy that would ask like, but what do they like? 
What do they enjoy? Yes. <laughs> They're like, oh, And with Hunu, you'd be know. like, they love sneakers and the mall and ice cream sundaes and sleeping in. Yeah. So. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> I mean, th- again, so playing a game instead of just whipping out a paper and, and pencil is just, you know, I think I think it's good for rapport, period, because it's more interactive. It's yeah. win-win. Yeah, yeah and it, it's back to that geek therapy level of things, whereas we're, we're going to address people on the basis of what they're passionate and interested in instead of on the basis of the challenges that they have. I think it's a good place to start. That's important. <laughs> but how do you get to, you know, it's how, how do you get to that? Well, basically, you know, like, in our practice, if, if a child says, well, my goal is I want to be a football player, well, what's keeping you from being a football player? That's where we go to. We, it is very solution-focused. And, you know, the, I don't know if you guys know the miracle question, but I use this mm-hmm. question all the time when I'm doing any kind of assessment. What do you need to change in order for your life to be better at this point? Give me three, three things that you need to change in order for your life to be better. And sometimes I get those crazy answers like, well, I need a million dollars. But most of the time I'll get some pretty clear answers like, well, I need mom to start paying more attention to me. <laughs> okay, we can work with that. Like Otto mentioned before, you know, we, we're not using games 100%. You know, they're still, uh, it, they're only one part of, of, of what you're doing. Um, right. Yeah. Right. Do you use it in other places, Autumn, besides uh, just that early? Yeah. Because you're doing these five sessions, so. Oh, well, if I'm doing uh, something really intense like trauma work, I'm probably not playing games because that's okay. it, that's a lot of subconscious work that takes quite a bit of my focus. So I don't think mm-hmm. I could split off and do both things. But um, so in early therapy, the first couple of sessions, especially with adolescents who can be hard nuts to crack and oftentimes aren't there by their own choice. Uh, for mm-hmm. In those cases, I'll use them to kind of distract the client and relieve the pressure of the session because they've come in you know oh you have to go to therapy and they're like oh god I'm broken there's something wrong with me you know and um, especially if the child's never had therapy or had a negative therapy experience in the past uh, might be thinking of it in totally inappropriate terms and so I want to break that down immediately and say so do you know how to play this game and uh, one of my favorites for teenagers is Othello because um, oh, yeah. there's zero setup. It's super easy to learn. And um, all you have to do is make things in a line and flip them over. So it's it's the easiest game, but, uh, but there is skill and there is uh, strategy involved. And so you see their wheels turn and, you know, you don't have to be smart to play it. You don't have to be strategic to play it. You know, you can, you can play it completely haphazardly and still win. So, um, mm-hmm. so Othello is a favorite of mine because it's, uh, it's super easy and fast and, um, there's a lot of depth to it if they want to. So that to me makes me not the bad guy and um, makes me not dangerous. So I'm I'm a person you have to interact with who's an adult, but, um, but you're gonna come here and we're gonna do stuff that's not so bad. And so that's kind of a, um, I guess an icebreaker, but more than that, I think. So that's, that's to me breaking down walls and stereotypes and getting rid of some of that stigma that teenagers have when they come in. And um, it gives them, if it's, they're new to therapy, it gives them a more pleasant introduction, I think. What does your office look like? Um, huh. My office is, uh, it's a pretty small room. I rent space in a building that has lots of other kinds of offices in it. Okay. And uh, so it has... Um, a chair and a desk and then two chairs in front of it and I usually sit next to my client so I don't usually sit across the desk unless I'm doing an intake and have to write a bunch of stuff down gotcha and then so so to play a game is it do you do you have a table in the middle or a setup or, or is you set it up on the desk or like how do you yeah I'll put it on the desk okay. and we'll just play on either gotcha. corner gotcha gotcha okay 
Yeah, when you were asking how what her office looked like, I was wondering whether or not they walk in and they see games or, or what they, you know, what, is, what does the child see or what does the, the Oh, yeah, like are there shelves with games on them or are they hidden? Nope. No, uh, I bring it in with me because um, because I rent office space hourly, so oh, I just gotcha, bring it in gotcha. with me. Okay. Oh, so, okay, yeah. Which is also why I don't like a lot of setup, right? Yeah. <laughs> so, oh, yeah. so like, I mean, so we've all done the, the in-home stuff, right? So I used to do yeah. in-home, oh man, without a car also. So Ooh. I needed, I had a good, good on yeah, you. I had a good backpack. Well, I, it was in New York and I was like, or in New Jersey, I was crossing and, and yeah, so to be able to do it with, you know, I needed whatever was whatever I could fit in my bag. So, you know, smaller mm-hmm. games. Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, dice, cards. Yeah, yeah. Play-Doh. Absolutely. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. yeah so, uh, so, uh, what are you asking? What else I use it for? So, uh, with individual clients, um, I don't use it as much with individual, uh, but I will use it to see what the reading or math skills are like to see, um, okay. Uh, so for instance, like who knew there's a little bit of reading in it or any kind of like questions on cards kind of games. Um, mm-hmm. uh, Cranium has a, a junior version. Um, Catan, uh, not Catan, I'm sorry, uh, Carcassonne is another favorite of mine. Uh, so I, I bring what I like to play. Um, hey, That's My Fish. Uh, oh yeah. That one's great for little kids and uh, and families. Uh, so I'll, I'll use those to see kind of what their strategy is like, how they organize their thoughts. Um, Kids who come in with the ADHD diagnosis, usually it's mm-hmm. assumed that their thoughts are all over the place, but that's not true. Uh, I, I've found that they can focus on things and as long as they're interesting. So make it interesting. How hard is that, right? So uh, right. so that's another thing that I do is to kind of show the parent how the child is interacting with the world and what I've noticed and how I, how I see those things. And that gives them a concrete answer as well um you can see how they do turn taking or if they do turn taking especially if you have more than one child if they're good winners or good losers uh which is a necessary skill in the real world so i i want to teach that and um oh i won this time high fives oh you won this time high fives and so they're equally um they're equally cheered and uh, and spread out how they take instruction. And like you were saying earlier, do they change the rules? Is their life chaos? Are they able to, to function and focus? And and uh, how can they get that stuff done? So, um, so that's some of the stuff I do for individuals. But I don't do a ton of that anymore because I don't tend to work with too many kids. So I'm doing a lot okay. more adolescents and adults at this point in my therapy. So, um, so I'm not doing too much of that anymore. But... Um, um, I have run tons of groups, and in group, I would mostly cannibalize games and pull their cards out. <laughs> so um, there was a game called uh, the Game of Things. It was a, it was not my favorite game. I won't speak too okay. too ill of it, except to say <laughs> that it had a lot of cards, and they had questions on them, and the questions were open ended, which was great. And so the game itself, I didn't like how it played, so I just went through the cards, kept the ones I liked, and threw out the rest. And uh, so I've used those cards for impromptu groups that I didn't have anything going for. I wasn't supposed to run that day, and so mm-hmm. everybody take five cards and ask a question of someone else, and you'll find that a group will balance out. They'll ask. They'll say, oh, you haven't answered one yet. Here, you answer this one. Or, you know, they'll give hard questions to people who haven't been talking as much and kind of pull them out. So uh, good groups run themselves. And I found that they're very good at making up the rules and, you know, just kind of let them do whatever, you know, here, here, how do you want to do this? And they'll come up with something. So it's nice to give them the power too. Um, There's another game I like called um, What's Yours Like? 
-hmm. that one had a whole bunch of great cards in it and so you um i cannibalized that game as well so i've got all these baggies full of cards from other games and so what's yours like you say um you know um so the card will have on it says like gym clothes and so you just answer what yours are like. So mine don't match, and mine are dirty. Um, mine are, are too loose, mine are too tight. Um, you know. And so then the person has to guess what you're talking about. And so a group can play that and you kind of see the camaraderie build, and uh, which is always good in a group because sometimes they, they ebb and flow. So um, anything with open-ended questions. I like that, yeah, what's yours like? That sounds like one I've got to look for. I have used, uh, I have taken apart Dixit and used the cards yes. as sort of projection for uh, a child to talk about, you know, okay, so which one of these is most like your day-to-day, -day, and how <laughs> is this like your day-to-day? -day? Kind of like or, the thematic you know, aptitude test? <laughs> yeah, it, it's got a little, it's got a little bit of tarot going on kind of thing, but it's tarot in a way that is not, you know, it's not going to raise anybody's hackles yeah. about being a cult or anything. Right. Well, speaking of cults, um, I just got the game. No, not related to therapy. I just got the game um, Cult Following on Kickstarter, uh -huh. and you're you're to create a cult and convince other people to join it. So, so there is a good game about cults out there. Uh, but there uh oh, a, I'm excited about that. There's a fantastic Kickstarter that's not yet uh, fulfilled. It's called Morbid Curiosity. I think it's supposed to ship this month or next month. And Morbid Curiosity is questions about death. And I thought those would make great group questions. So as soon as I saw the Kickstarter, I was like, I have to have this just for my collection. So I'm, <laughs> I'm eagerly waiting that one to come so I can run some groups on questions about death. And, you know, of course, you let people pass because you don't know what uh -huh. might be too close to someone or and what might be uncomfortable. So, you know, to allow them the, the space to be able to pass is is a useful thing, too, I find. Yeah, I always when I use the Ungame, because I've used the Ungame a lot to just get people to talk about things. I don't know if you know this one. Yeah. Um, uh, basically, the game is a set of questions. It's just a set of questions. There's no winning. There's no losing. It's just a set of questions. And sometimes the questions are geared towards specific topics. But I always say to whoever's across from me, you know, you have the right to refuse the question. Just give me some answer as to why you want to refuse the question. Mm -hmm. um, and that, you know, that's enough. You don't have to answer this question. If it, it, you know, if you could just say it's just too emotional. Okay, we can skip it and move on. Mm -hmm. I, I like giving them the out. So. You've talked about games in the context of uh, family therapy and games in the context of kind of uh, basically learning more about other people. Mm -hmm. And I know you're saying you don't use them a lot now. So, But I have two questions that kind of went along with the things you said. So the first one is, are there games that you've used to process or to help people get through uh, anything in particular where they're trying to work through a challenge or something? Um. Not board games, not okay. that I, not that I can think of. I think that I've used um, series of questions. I may have even pulled from stacks of cards that I've cannibalized from other games, um, just to kind of keep things moving along. Because there are points in therapy where sometimes a person will feel stuck or unable to answer, and I don't think that's a function of the therapy not working or the person being. Um, I want to say like not moving, but that's not quite what I mean. Mm -hmm. Not not moving along at the pace that they had been before. But um, right. but I, I think sometimes it's just a function of 
needing some extra time. So in order to kind of buy time, but also make use of the time, uh, you know, because I want to be respectful of their time and their finances and the fact that they've come and taken time out of their day to keep their appointment. So in order to make use of the time, but also kind of give them a little break to, to let things soak through, I've used kind of little filler things like that at times. And I always ask first if that would be useful. And so uh, there's only been a couple of times where I think that was terribly useful because honestly the kind of therapy that I'm doing now moves so quickly that I found mm -hmm. it's not um, it's not as necessary okay all right and then the next question was so you've talked mostly about playing games with kids and and playing games with families mm -hmm. has there been a time that you've used that with adults who have come in because I, I know that one person in our group has asked you know well are there ways to to talk to adults using games or can games be used with adults basically was their question oh i would say absolutely yes yeah, so um othello is another one uh, othello is just a favorite of mine and so honestly i play the games that i like and um that's me sharing my passion which i think comes through mm -hmm. and um i think it's such a simple game that has so much depth also that it really keeps you you can talk while you're playing it. You don't have to think so hard while you're playing it that you lose track of what you're saying. You can um, you can do both at the same time. And I think that's a necessary function when you think about board games and adults. You have to be not so busy playing the game that you can't focus, but also not so focused that you can't also play the game. So you wanna, you wanna have that nice soft split. And I think that's one of the games that really does that. So, um, but I, I've used, um, I've used these kind of open-ended card games with adults loads of times. Um, I think the first time I used games in a group session was uh, with adolescents. So I was working at a substance abuse treatment center and one of their rules is the residents have to have so many hours of HIV treatment uh, um, per stay or per month or per quarter, whatever it was. So there's, mm -hmm. a, there's a rule. And so they said, uh, next week we need you to run an HIV group. It's like on 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 what you know on, on HIV, just you know something psychoeducational. It's like well, but on what you know so <laughs> so uh, so I went online and I looked up um, HIV psychoeducational game, and because I said if I'm going to do this, I want it to be fun. And adolescents can be feisty, so uh, especially when they're already locked in a treatment facility that they didn't choose to come to. So I wanted to make sure it was something memorable or fun, and I found this game. Um, I'll take no credit. I did not invent it. And uh -huh. uh, if you use those same words, I'm sure that you will find it. And you label a bunch of brown bags and you fill them with Hershey's Kisses. And in one of the bags, you put a different kind of kiss. You know, the kisses are wrapped in a way that the wrappers are different for which flavors they are. Mm -hmm. And so you tell people they have different rules. And so you're t you're, you two, you, um, you're only allowed to trade with each other. Um, you... Uh, you're not allowed to trade at all. And then, you know, everyone else can trade. And then you, you say, ready, go. And they are to trade as much as they can um, in whatever denominations they so choose. And one person's got the, we'll say, special candies, right, that are different from the, the other ones. And then at the end, you tell them, uh, you know, the trading is complete. And so uh, you two who were not allowed to trade except with each other, you are the um, monogamous couple. And uh, you did not get HIV. You had the bag of other candy, and you did them randomly, of course. Uh, you had the, the bag of other candy. You were HIV positive. And anyone who got one of those candies, stand up. 
And so anybody with the special candy stands up, which is usually most of the room. Uh, you who were not allowed to trade at all, you were um, celibate. And so you did not contract HIV. And so everyone stands up who got the other candies. So the one person was already infected, they stay infected. And then you say, look at the bottom of your bag. And since you've given them out randomly, the bottom say that they either were using clean needles or they were properly using condoms every time or whatever the thing was. And so they either did or did not contract HIV. And so that was the first one that I did that was a game. And I, I thought it was so fun and everybody loved it. So I've done it many times since then. But uh, but it was just so fun and it was memorable. And so we'll go in and give them psychoeducation on HIV. Well, yes, you know, <laughs> but it doesn't have to be another handout or another lecture or, you know, the same old thing they've already experienced, you know, twice a month because that's the rule. So I think there's a way of getting the thing done that's still fun and engaging and interesting for everybody, including the person running it. You know, so a lot of the people who, who we talk to, um, they they want to use games in some capacity and they find some sort of resistance from from either their agency or their employer or, you know, the groups that they're working with. Have you ever experienced any of that? Um, no, I'm a person who asks permission, uh, asks forgiveness, forgiveness instead of permission. Yep, yep. Yeah, so... Um, <laughs> I've never, I've never encountered that kind of resistance. Um, I find that once, I, I mean, I, I'm very ethical, and so I, I pride myself that um, that being one of my main characteristics in the workplace. So as long as I'm going in with the appropriate intention, I think that it's going to go fine. So I've never had any problems with that kind of stuff. So I think as long as you're going in with your heart in the right place and you've looked at the possible problems that could come from it and you've worked through that as best you can, you've given people an out, um, like we talked about earlier saying, you know, this is too close to home or this makes me uncomfortable. I'm going to take a pass on this. As long as you've worked out that stuff in advance, I think it's going to go fine. I, I like okay. it. I like it. So since you, you said that, I have to ask this question, which is, have you ever caught yourself in a session? This is probably older, longer time ago, because now you're you're a pretty consistent professional and you probably know what much more what you're doing now. <laughs> um, but I, my, my beginning of therapy was I didn't really know what I was doing a lot of the time. I, I was doing my best to follow, you know, whatever I thought the right ethical guidelines were. But I, I was playing games in, in sessions and sometimes I would get too immersed in the game itself, which can be a danger. I'm wondering if you ever had any of those experiences. Um, not that I remember, but I think because I look, I look for the purpose in the game before I play, or I look for the purpose okay. in the action before I take it, that I don't really run up against that. So that if that if there had to be a piece of advice coming out of it, that would be it. So make sure your heart is in the right place. Make sure you've thought about the ethical problems that are possible, and try to safeguard for those as best you can before you go into it. And that'll kind of keep you on track, I think. So as long as you're going in saying, you know, I'm going to do this for this reason, you're probably good. Okay. All right. I like that. I like that guideline. That's It's helpful to – I don't know if – I think I've thought of that guideline, but I haven't actually put it into words, so that's that's perfect. So you're a game player. You've probably been in, in the hobby for quite some time. Can you recall playing a game personally – where you felt like it was transformative for you? Um, That's a hell of a question, I know. That is. Where it was transformative. Uh, well, my early dates with my husband, uh, because I was a college student, we used to play Pictionary a lot at my house. <laughs> okay. Um, 
I will say there was one time my husband and I had a couple of friends over to play uh, Cranium, and uh, which is a great game, and uh, they are both artists of different mediums and uh, wonderful artists and uh, bright people, all of us, and we were playing uh, Cranium, and I had to draw my husband had to one of us had to draw uh, a rolling stone gathers no moss which is a toughie and yeah whatever it was about the drawing uh, i don't remember which of us drew and which of us guessed but we got it and they called uh they called shenanigans and uh, refused to play with us anymore gave up uh quit and said that it was it was not fair that we were cheating in some way we're like how how would we cheat how, it's not even possible and so uh because the, ta- the card was on the table uh farther from us and so uh so i thought that was a that was a defining moment i would say that when the artist accused us of cheating and wouldn't play with us anymore so. <laughs> <laughs> okay and and it sounds like that brought you guys closer together or made yourself made you guys realize you were closer or i don't i don't know were you married you weren't married yet right uh no we weren't married yet i don't think okay it's it's just a question transformative might not be the right question i just um one of the things i try to so i'm looking at not only the experience in the therapy room but also the experience of the player you know what's it like to be a player and what kinds of experience do you get out of games that that fulfill you in life you know you're the one who said i don't see them as um as just objects there there's something deeper to be gained there so i was just that's i was wondering if you had gained something deeper there um well i think uh i think what board game hobbying does uh at least in my experience is it brings your friends over it brings you closer it gives you laughs and you see how each other think you learn a bit about each other and um i uh, happily have a couple of friends who do these huge board game nights where there will be 40 60 people over i i couldn't host a big gathering like that i would not be interested in that but they do and they're wonderful and we play werewolves and it's just it's fantastic so um uh you know i think i think anything that kind of gets you together and laughing and and enjoying your friends is is probably a good thing so uh, that's that's really what it does for me okay excellent all right um I have I've picked your brain as far as I know how to pick it, but I, I, I'm, I've been really excited to, to talk to you because, number one, I don't get to talk to a lot of therapists who have used games or who have any idea about using games. Um, when I talk to my fellow therapists about it, they get really excited, but then they don't really know what I'm talking about sometimes. Well, I hope this um, will help them, and I hope they'll be able to take some risks and put something on the table. And I think a lot of the problem that people probably have is that they only know the standard games. And so Connect Four is a wonderful game. Um, you know, if you want to learn about frustration and how little children handle that, play Candyland <laughs> with them, because Candyland okay. is a very frustrating game. Um <laughs> Because it's all chance, yeah. right? And so, oh, yeah, no choices. Back to Cookie Mountain, you know, yeah. it's just terrible. So, uh, so I, I think you can use those standard games that you find at Target and anywhere. But board gaming has blossomed so much, and there are so many good games. I mean, just more than I can fit in my cupboards. And so, <laughs> so I think really kind of spreading the word about what the good games are and um, what's good for different age groups and what's good when you want to look at X or Y. And uh, I, you know, I don't. 
I don't mean to overstep, but maybe a focus of a future episode would be like, what games do you use when you want to increase communication? Or what games do you use for adolescence? Or, you know, uh, what's a good game for, you know, a particular time of uh, life or something like that would be really interesting. So um, maybe that would kind of get the word out more as to how to use this stuff. So I I wasn't prepared with that today, but um, but you know I, I I know what I know only because I'm a board gamer. So I don't know how right. many people really play Othello, but I love it. And so um, how many people have heard of Hey That's My Fish? Well, it's, it's a terrific game. And mm-hmm. um, you know go to your local board game stores and ask them, and they're happy to show you. And a lot of places like board game cafes and stuff they'll they'll have them on the shelves to to show you and they'll they'll show you they're they're happy to tell you like oh people love this or um this gets brought back after 10 minutes and you know or this is a pain to set up or this requires a lot of math and you know they they know they're great resources and um and they'll do that for free so so do support your local board game companies wherever they are i have um i i go back and forth on this depending on 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 the situation, so it's probably more it depends on context. But I really like what you said about um, you play games that you like because you know you want it to be fun for you. You want to bring your passion into it, and you know there's mm-hmm. nothing worse than having a therapist that doesn't want to be there. And you know if you don't play games, uh, think about whether or not to bring games into it. Right, play the games first, um, and if you like the game, it'll be better for everybody involved. That's that's something that I always tell people. You know, just because you're working with kids, it, you know. Maybe maybe a tabletop game isn't your thing, then 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 don't necessarily bring that in. Yeah, that's an excellent yeah. point, and um, and you will never see Monopoly in one of my sessions. I, I hate it, and I'm a table flipper. Good. I yeah. think it's one of the worst games ever. It is, and um, I don't think I've ever finished a game. It's just, it's just terrible, and so you will never see me breaking that out because I don't want to subject anyone to something that's no fun. No one should be subjected so, to that ever. So, how do you feel about? Well, it also it fails your twenty minute thing true. too. Um, right. Yes, it is very long. Um, how do you feel about um, the board game classics, uh, the uh, thinking, feeling, doing game, and emotional bingo, and and other classics in that uh, in that vein, the typical therapy games. Um, I think they were good for their time and their time is probably past or just about up. I like that. I like that. <laughs> I remember one of my first, I, uh, I, I must've been an intern, you know, and they were like, Oh, you're going to work with kids. So take some games. And I was like, what, what is, what, is, what is this? This is, this is, this is not a game. Come on. No, no, no. Yeah. Yeah. Take this with me. Come on. No. Ugh. Yeah, and then Woody mentioned the ungame, and I just cringed. I said, "Oh, mm, people are still playing that." Oh, so, uh, yeah, I'm I'm not a fan of the traditional therapy games. I think they feel like therapy, they and do. I would yeah. rather therapy feel like play. Yeah, yeah. Which which maybe is uh, blurring the line too much, and maybe is a boundary that other people might not be comfortable with. So so check your own boundaries and your own comfort, and do what feels right to you. So I I'm not telling anyone what to do. I'm just telling you how I do it. Oh, absolutely. And uh, I wouldn't say I play the ungame very often, but when I want to get a family to talk about issues, that seems to be a good way to get to get them to talk about it. When, they, when they're feeling like they're stuck and they're not willing to go any further, not willing to offer me a lot of information. So, yeah, it's a therapy game, but it's not... Uh, you, you said you cringe. There are better I, I ways to do it, Woody. There the are others. better ways. Fine, fine. <laughs> oh. <laughs> 
This is the part where Hostway goes ahead and, and berates me on the show. That's awesome. <laughs> yeah, well, I mean, you know. Well, I'm, do, I'm glad uh, I got to help. Yeah, thank you. Thank you, Autumn. Just do everything that Autumn said, okay? Just stop using the, <laughs> the gun game. Come on. I'm going to burn it in a special resort. Go to the night. store, ask them what's good. They'll never say the gun game. Never. No, they won't no even know what that is. No game store is going to know what that is. <laughs> and do you know why, Woody? Do you know why that is? <laughs> There's a better way. <laughs> okay, got it. <laughs> oh, this was great. This was great, Autumn. Thank you so much. Oh, well, yes, thanks. thank you very much. Can I, it's can been I, uh, awesome to talk oh, to you. Yeah. Can I plug my game yeah, before yeah, I go? Th- that was my, fi- that was my yeah. final question. You kind of mentioned, like, oh. oh, yeah, I'm a game designer now. Maybe, oh, yeah, maybe yeah, game's yeah, coming that's out. right. I want to know. Please, please, so, tell me more uh, about that. I want to know how that came to be, too. Uh, well, so uh, how it came to be, my husband and I were at a diner uh, about three, four years ago, and uh, we noticed that everyone around us had blue faces. Everyone was on their cell phones, not talking to each other. And we have a little game we like to play called What's Their Deal? And uh, you can play this at home. Go to any public place and look at anybody who seems to be like they're together, like at a table eating together, and ask yourself, what's their deal? And so what's their relationship to each other? What are they talking about? Um, Why are they making those faces and gestures? What's going on with them? And so we like to play this game. Uh, It's good fun for us. And, um, and so we play what's their deal. And we got to this diner, which is just a regular kind of diner we've been to a number of times. And we looked all around, and no one was talking to each other. Everyone was on their phones, potentially texting everyone else at the restaurant. And uh, which, (laughs) which I assume was their deal. And so, uh, so my husband says, you know, this is this is not good. This is the decline of society. And uh, my husband's not really one to say things like that. So so I took him seriously, and I said, what do you what 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 do you want about? And he says, well, we should do something about this. I'm like, what do you what do you propose we do about this? He's not going to create a scene. That's not. I would create a scene. But <laughs> and so uh, he says, uh, we should come up with something for people to do together to be together while they're waiting for their food to come. And I said, we should. And he says, yeah, we should we should make like a game or something. I said, huh. And so I pulled a little notepad out of my purse and we started jotting down ideas and we came up with a dice game. And uh, that's our game. So it's called Eat the Villagers. And uh, it's uh, you, uh, everyone, every player is a dragon. And your object is to eat as many delicious villagers as you can uh, before the knights vanquish you or the wizard casts his magic and sends you back to your lair. So it's it's uh, family friendly and it requires only the tiniest bit of addition and no pad or paper and the dice fit in your pocket in a little bag. So that's it. That's the whole game. So we hope to have it up on Kickstarter uh, sometime this year. So if you want to follow for more information, um, Butterknife Concepts on Facebook or eatthevillagers.com and um, hopefully we'll hopefully we'll have it out pretty soon. It's been a it's been a labor so far. So hopefully we'll uh, get past all the hurdles and, and get it out there. But we've got the copyright done and we're waiting on the final trademarks and so uh, so yeah, so that's pretty exciting. And then we've got a couple other things in the works and um, I'm working on a um, post-apocalyptic game it's going to be a little bit like pandemic or risk in the setup so it's going to be a world map and you play as the four horsemen of the apocalypse and so i've been working out the the balance has been quite difficult but i hate an unbalanced game so unless the balance is right it will never be released so um so i've been working on the balance for that for a while about a year um maybe more than that and i'm working on a i came up with a card game for preschool children that they can play together and I just need an artist for that. So I'm looking for an artist that draws cute animals. And 
And if you are one, you can contact me at um, the Villagers website or at Clear Mind Group website, which is my therapy group. And um, my emails are on there. And I've got another one that I've been working on, which is uh, kind of, it plays a little bit like magic. It's a deck builder and uh, it's mythology based. So you play as um, a particular mythology. So maybe you're Greek or Roman or Celtic or American Indian. And then your cards, uh, you battle cards. So it's a two player card battling game. And uh, it's your myths versus theirs. And you have to protect the base. So we've got a few in the works. But they are, wow. they. But you know, we both have jobs, many jobs, and so they. That is our side project. So, uh, Butter Knife Concepts is our board making, board game making company, and that's our side project. So, everything takes a very long time for us because it's not our first priority, unfortunately. But so a bunch of things in the works. Very very cool. I was and uh, and I've got some books on Amazon. So if you're a reader, I wrote the book on preventing childhood trauma. So if you have little people in your lives, you should definitely read it. Which is uh, Bubble Wrap Your Kids, and that's on Amazon and Kindle. And I'm pretty proud of that one. So awesome, excellent. So I do a lot of stuff. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> you do. Yeah, you're more than the package I thought you were. <laughs> Well, th- thank you so much, Autumn. I'm I'm been excited to talk to you. My, when uh, when I get excited, I have kind of a tail wag thing where my foot goes back and forth. So I've been wagging my tail most of this podcast. <laughs> <laughs> well, and I enjoyed you. the fact that your cat joined in. Oh, I hope you didn't hear him much. I, I did shut the door, and my husband came home early to keep him out. So <laughs> I, I hope that he not, was not a lot, oh, okay. but just a little. Yeah, he was. He had his paw under the door for a moment there. Well, thank you guys so much for having me. This has been really interesting. And if I can uh, be of service at any future time, uh, drop me an email or give me a call. Yeah, definitely let us know when the games Absolutely. come out. We'll do. Yes. Yeah, we'll, we'll post it on the on the Geek Therapy site. We'll post it on uh, whatever we have for Rolling for Change. We have a guild right now that's on Board Game Geek, so you can check that out. I will. Thank you. Uh, we also have, uh, for our listeners, we, we are part of the Geek Therapy Network, so we have the Geek Therapy Facebook group which you can go and, and join and uh, talk to other fellow geeks who are gamers and video gamers and comic book lovers, whatever have you in the geek therapy world. Uh, we have a growing crowd of people and it's very exciting to see these people talk about all of their pursuits. It's just, it's a lot of fun. So uh, encouraging everybody to come along and check that out. And that is Geek Therapy Community? Yep. Yes. Gotcha, thank you. On Facebook, yes. Um, I'll, I'll send you an invite or something oh. in case you can't find it. Or something. I found it. I just sent the request. I just wanted to there verify for there anybody else out there. I just approved you, so we're good. You did. <laughs> God, that's quick. That all happened during my podcast, folks. That's, <laughs> that's awesome. Yeah. Well, once again, thank you so much, and, and thank everyone for listening to Rolling for Change. We'll be back in a couple of weeks. God willing. <laughs> Thanks for listening. Rolling for Change is a proud member of the Geek Therapy Network. If you'd like to suggest topics, present ideas, or be part of our conversation, please contact us. We'd love to hear from you. Our email address is gamers at rollingforchange.com. On Twitter, we are at Roll for Change. And on Facebook, you can talk to us in the Geek Therapy Network group. 
Our theme music comes from Rocket Scientists from their album Refuel. You can find their music at thetank.com forward slash rocketscientist.htm. Thanks so much for joining us. See you next time and keep on rolling for change.